Hey y'all, my name is Bryce. I have a new life in Christ. I'm in recovery from fear of man, which is worshiping people's opinions of myself, pride, which is just worshiping myself, and then low self-worth. And then this past week, I've been dealing and recovering from shame. Hey y'all, well it's good to be back here with you guys again. If you've been with us and you've known what Region is, um, welcome back again. But if you don't know what Region is, Region is a 12-step Christ-centered um, discipleship program. Tw- uh, wow, why is that so hard for me right now? I don't know. And a 12-step discipleship program centered on Christ. Um, and so if you're here in this room and you're looking for healing, or you're looking for freedom, or you want to know what it looks like to walk in radical um, repentance, or you're just simply looking for hope, or you do not know what brought you into the doors, I promise to you that Monday nights you will find it. You will find it here on Monday nights. If you've been with us, we've been walking through this series called Deja Vu, and Deja Vu is um, purpose to just highlight God's redemptive plan for us is repetitive redemption. We say it's redemption on repeat. God's been doing this since the beginning of time. Since the very beginning of time, he's been telling us that he was going to redeem us from the brokenness of sin. And so that's what Regen- or that's what Deja Vu series has been highlighting. And two primary ways that God shows us his redemptive plan and um, his character is, one, he uses real-life events, real-life events like um, the Passover or the bronze serpent, if you've been with us and you heard that. And then he also uses prophecies, people on his behalf that he calls up to go and speak the truth about the events and then the coming events that would occur. He uses prophecies or he uses prophets to speak prophecies to his people. And so tonight, as we finish our Deja Vu series, we are going to um, see God's promise of your redemption through the prophet Isaiah. We're going to see this preparation or this little inkling of this promise in and through the prophet Isaiah. But before we see that promise or that prophecy, I want to give you guys a little bit of context about where Israel is at this time. Israel, if you don't know who Israel is, is God's chosen people. Like God's going to redeem the people of the world through a people, Israel. But at this point in time, the people that he chose to redeem the world by have actually been rebelling against him. Like he wanted to save um, the world through these people, but these people were rebelling against him. And so as time went by, they um, moved further and further away from God. And there was hundreds and hundreds of years of them kind of doing this back and forth relationship with God. And um, as time grew longer, their sin actually grew deeper and more destructive and more broken. And they weren't getting any better. Like if you were thinking, hey, they were kind of like trying to pump the brakes, they for sure weren't pumping the brakes at this point in time. This is about 700 AD where Israel is just spiraling out of control deeper and deeper into brokenness. And they were kind of just stuck in this vicious cycle this vicious cycle of doing something they hated or rebelling against God and then saying, oh, I'm sorry, I should stop doing that. And as they tried to turn 180 degrees, they kind of overcorrect and just run straight back to their sin. And they knew it. Like, it was causing so much destruction, but they couldn't stop. They were actually just trapped by their sinful desires. Israel was trapped by their sinful desires. They knew that it harmed them and they knew that it rebelled against God, but then they did it anyways because they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop it. And they experienced the consequences of it. They experienced the consequences of their own actions and the way that their actions harmed other people and themselves. They experienced the consequences of somebody else's sinful actions harming them and then harming themselves. And then they just experienced the natural consequences of uh, sickness and death 
and famine and the world as they knew it, just their whole reality felt chaotic and broken. They were experiencing the brokenness of it. And right in the middle of their sin, right in the middle of it, God, and this is 700 BC, he sends this man, he raises up this man named Isaiah and he tells him to go speak to his people, to call them back into repentance. And there's three main things that God tells this prophet Isaiah to say um, or to do. He has him cast judgment for their actions. It's kind of like inventory, like he, the people of Israel oftentimes were running blind. They didn't even know that they were sinning. And so he said, hey, here's, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the law. You're sinful here, here, and here. And then he called them to turn back to himself. He's like, I'm full of forgiveness. Turn, turn to me. Turn away from those sinful, destructive actions. And then he warns them of the punishment of their sin. Say, hey, if you don't turn away from your sin, this is what's going to happen. And he spends a really, really long time talking about this in the prophet Isaiah, in the book, in the writings, if you read it. So long, over and over again, judgment and condemnation and turn back and repent of your sins. Um, but then at the kind of tail, the latter half, the tail end of this prophecy from Isaiah to the people of Israel, God says something interesting. And there, there comes this small moment when God himself, through the hand of Isaiah, wanting to say something very specific to his people, writes this. We see it in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Right at the end, after all this judgment and turn away and stop doing these things, this is what's going to happen. Here's the punishment. He takes this small amount of time, this moment, just to share this with the people of Israel. And despite all their brokenness, they've, they've caused themselves and they caused others. God is saying right here to the people of Israel, right smack dab in the middle of their spiraling out of control, their foot is heavy, like pedal to the metal in their pain and their sin and their brokenness. He says these words to him, And he's saying that there's going to be one. One day, there's going to be one who is anointed by the Spirit who's going to come and he's going to redeem and he's going to free and then he's going to heal you. And right now, Israel, you can't see it because you're so seeped in your sin and it's so destructive, you can't even imagine what that would feel like. But right in the middle, he chooses to tell them. Right in the middle, he tells them there's going to be one who's going to come and he's going to save you. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. You can't. He can. And we're just like Israel in this way, region. I'm just like Israel in this way. Like <clears throat> our sinful desires, we find ourselves in this vicious cycle of sinful desires and it keeps leading us um, into these places we don't wanna go. But for some reason we still desire it and so it draws us in and we fall to it. Like it may be that pornography cycle of like, hey, when you do it, I, you know, I would fall to pornography and I say I'm never gonna do it again. And that shame and guilt leads you to want to numb and cover, so what's gonna make you feel better from your guilt and shame from the pornography that you just fell to is probably pornography. And so it's this vicious cycle over and over again, or maybe it's gambling for you, or it's drinking, or it's drugs, or it's anger and control, and you lash out, and you find yourself in this vicious cycle falling deeper and deeper into it, and the confusing part is that when you do it, you, you hate yourself for it. When you're in that cycle, do you know what I'm saying? Like when you're in that cycle and you can't stop that thing, you hate yourself for doing it every time you do, but it happens every night. 
I know it all too well. It begins to cause you to hate yourself, and you do it again, and then you hate yourself, and you do it again, and it's just repetitive over and over and over again. And what you need to know, Regen, is that the Scripture tells us something about that. The Scripture tells us that we are not held captive by our sinful habits. Like what holds you captive in that vicious cycle, what traps you is not that thing. It's not the sinful habits. It's your sinful heart because it's the desire that draws you there. And so if I could just free you up and say it plainly, pornography, if you're in this room and you're dealing with this vicious cycle of pornography, pornography is not your problem. It's a symptom of your problem, but it's not the main thing, and you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fight- it's a smokescreen. If you're here and it's pornography, it's not really pornography. It's not your anxiety. It's not alcohol. It's not the body image. It's not people's opinions. It's not the gambling or whatever it may be, whatever your vice is, that is not the thing that holds you captive. It's your sinful heart that holds you captive. It's the deceitful desires in your heart that lead you into captivity day in and day out. And that captivity is probably what brought you into this room. It's not your habit, it's your heart. And so it's not the redemption of your habits that you need, it's the redemption of your heart. And so when Jesus, or when God, through the prophet Isaiah, says that he's going to free the captive, what do you think he's talking about? What is he freeing you from, really? When he says he's going to free the captive, those who are bound, what is he talking about? Because um, he promises that he's going to save us and redeem our hearts, and he tells you that he would fix it and free you from that vicious cycle. But for some of us in this room, we've been in that vicious cycle for a really, really long time. Yeah? Like years, years upon years, you've been trapped in this, in this just broken record. My heart wants to do this thing, and I keep doing it. And then I hate myself, and then I kind of disappear. There's no hope for me. It may have been years upon years of that pain and that brokenness. You're just waiting for the breakthrough, waiting for something to happen. Because some of you have been trying for so long, and you've tried over and over again, you just fell flat. And some of, some of you have gotten to the point where you've tried and you said, you know what, like there's no hope. I'm just going to give up. I've tried it. I'm just, this is just who I am. Your sin then becomes your identity. Um, and Israel, just like you, um, wherever you are coming to this room, Israel was experiencing the same exact thing. The same exact thing. They waited generations. They were in this vicious cycle, and they waited generation after generation for the one who they were told was going to come and free them. They waited for him. It was hundreds and hundreds of years of reading promise after promise and hundreds and hundreds of years of them waiting after promise after promise. They were waiting for that one that was going to come and to redeem them. And so y'all are not alone in this vicious cycle of feeling like you can't be freed from whatever you're um, experiencing right now. Because God said that he would send it. But then finally, after all this long-awaited time, the people of Israel are continued. They don't stop. They continue to read the promise read in Isaiah 61 or the promise of the Brahm serpent or the promise of the coming Messiah that was going to change and fix everything and free them from their sinfulness or free them from their slavery to whatever nation was destroying them at the time and kind of pressing down on them. But finally, in this moment, there comes this moment in history about 30 AD, 
a true moment in history, historically documented, when God felt that it was the fullness of time, when God said, right now is when I'm going to fulfill the promise that I've been promising for generations and generations. When it's that time in 30 AD, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Son. Jesus Christ, God the Son, when he began that mission, he went and when he began that mission, he was going to send it off at first. What he did is he went to his hometown, which is kind of odd because it was a really small place. He didn't go to this big place, but he was like, you know, I'm going to go to my hometown right where it started because home is where the heart is and I'm coming for the heart. And so he starts there in Nazareth in the synagogue. It would have been like a little church um, similar to this. And he stands up and it's his turn to read the scriptures. Um, and it's God's opening event, right? Like in, in this, in, this is in Luke chapter four, like it tells about Jesus being born and then he does these things and then he says, he begins his ministry and he heals some people and then immediately goes to Nazareth. So God's like opening statement in his ministry, in his rescue mission, he chooses to read this. It says in Luke four, verse 17, it says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he walks up to the front and then the guy who holds the scrolls was like, here you go, Jesus. Jesus didn't go and choose the one, but God's providential and he's sovereign. It says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled it. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, bring, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were just like right there. Like he was supposed to stand and continue to teach them and so they were listening to him, but he sits down instead and so they're like, wait, what's going on? And then he begins to say this, Today, this scripture, this promise, this year of the Lord's favor, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and they marveled. Do you see what Jesus just did there? God, the son himself, when he came to rescue you, the first thing he comes in and does is he goes to the hometown and he reads the scripture, this promise. Jesus is saying that the one that Israel has been waiting for is him. Like the one that came, that was supposed to come and free them um, from their captivity or their oppression or their brokenheartedness, the one who was to comfort the mourn, it was him. And he was saying, hey, that one you've been wait waiting for, generation after generation, region, the one that you've been waiting for year after year in that cycle of sin and vicious brokenness that's caused you to feel like there's no hope, it is him. He's the one who can free you. He's the one. And he's saying it right there. Jesus says, I am your freedom. And what Jesus does from that moment on is he goes and he lives this perfect, perfect, perfect life, the life that you and I were supposed to live, sinless. And, in, and then in order to free the oppressed, he allowed himself, he chose to be oppressed by the people he was seeking to free. To the point where he dies on a cross and he absorbs the wrath of God absorbs the wrath of God that was rightly due to us because of our penalty owed to us because of our sin, not his. He absorbed that wrath and then, he was, and then he died and he was buried and he was resurrected. And after he resurrected, he showed himself to people who said, this is the truth. 
follow me, accept me by faith, and he ascends into heaven. And the reason why I say that is because when he ascends into heaven, he then pours out his spirit. Like that anointed spirit, it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. That spirit, Jesus pours out, the spirit of Jesus himself on the earth. So that means, region, that the very spirit, the very Jesus that was there speaking to them, hey, you want freedom? It's me. That very spirit is here tonight here tonight, and so that means that that promise, the promise of his redemption for you is true for you just as it was true for them. And you can find freedom tonight. So if you're here in this room regeneration and you're afflicted and you are in pain, Jesus wants to bind up your broken heart by the power of his spirit. And if you're here um, and you're suffering Jesus has good news for you. If you're here and you're um, held captive by your heart's deceitful desires, Jesus says that he can give you a brand new one. If yours is broken, he can give you a new one. And it's done by the power of the Spirit if you accept him and surrender to him by faith. So, Regent, I commend you. I call to you and tell you I've, I've experienced the goodness of God. And that doesn't mean that we don't continue to struggle or deal with the brokenness of the world that we live in. But he says that if you surrender to him by faith and trust in him for the salvation of your sin, of your heart, for eternity, you will be made brand new and healing and freedom will come after by the power of the Spirit. Tonight we're going to hear a story of a, of a soul who's been redeemed and resurrected because of their trust in Jesus and whom has found freedom day by day since the day he met Jesus. So if y'all would, welcome Richard to the stage so he can share his story with us. Yeah.